welcome to MindShift, where we explore how mindsets can help you live a life of passion and purpose. On this show, we'll explore how our thoughts, attitudes, and beliefs shape our outlook on life and influence our decisions. We'll talk to experts from various fields and hear from individuals who have transformed their lives by adopting new mindsets. Whether you're feeling stuck, searching for life's purpose, or simply curious about the power of the mind and how it's changing the future, this podcast is for you. So sit back, relax, and let's dive in. Hello and welcome to MindShift. If you haven't done so already, please hit that subscribe button and follow along for some tips and tools on how to become your best self. Today, I have a very special guest that I'm really excited to have on the show, Faye Cox. She is a NLP um, coach and practitioner, and she really helps people kind of identify some limiting beliefs and the expectations that society puts on us. It helps us to unpack them and move through them, specifically with young people and women kind of facing these changes in their lives. So, Faye, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me on. It's great to be here. Absolutely. So, I know you work with a lot of different individuals and really help them kind of identify what's been holding them back, some of these limiting beliefs. And so I'm just curious, like, A, what are some of the most common limiting beliefs that you come across? And what are some of the tools that you help uh, different individuals move past these limiting beliefs? Uh, a lot of the limiting beliefs that um, I come across are all very sort of quite common ones. And they're ones that I would probably say I um, also had as when I was uh, a lot younger, um, is the fact that we don't feel like we're good enough um I get so obviously I work with a lot of young people I work with um so over here it's year 10 right through to year 13 so that that age group teenage age group is between 14 and around um, 18 or 19 um so the most uh, common things that I come across is um through some of those academic years is the fact that they don't believe that they're as good as their peers um, so a, they do a lot of them comparing themselves to others, that they're not uh, good enough in certain areas. So there's a, um, I come across a lot of I'm too this, so I'm either too short, I'm too, I mean, I, I have so many young people that I speak to actually, who still use the term to describe themselves as sort of, oh, I'm too thick. Well, that is a, a definite reference that we then uh, reframe because, but I think for our, for our young people particularly, there's so much pressure put on them to be academically a certain way. And um, when they're not academic in a certain subject, um, for example, well, just take maths or English, obviously, because they're the most pressured subjects, they actually start to take on this identity that they're thick as a result of that. Well, we know that that's not the case. We all have stronger, um, We'll have things that we're stronger at in in life so for me for example maths has never been my strongest subject so that's something that i had to to work through to let go of that belief myself i've always been more of a of an english um person so i actually failed my maths gcse the first time around but it took me a long time to then build up that confidence to then go and take it again because i'd taken on this belief that obviously where maths were concerned i i, I was thick um but now when I say that word, it kind of seems really, I, I don't have that attachment to it 
but we attach ourselves to obviously these certain sayings. Um, so then we, we, we take them on, we put them in our backpack, as I describe it, and we carry them all around with us. Um, so one of the things that I do, one of the really powerful tool is I use the backpack, obviously, as a metaphor in the story to explain to young people what it is that we take on, what we put into our backpack from the moment that we're born, really, um, right up until the stage that we're at where I come and work with people. Um, and how it starts to weigh us down, but how actually a lot of these beliefs that we have belong to maybe our teachers, our peers, um, our parents, grandparents, you know, friends, even, you know, down to sort of sports coaches, etc. So we reframe a lot of that thinking into actually does that belong to you? And is that actually going to serve you that thought or identity moving forward? And if not, how can we leave it? where it is which is where i bring a lot of those um, nlp tools into where um, we use what we call sort of disassociation so we can disassociate ourselves from the belief and also changing the language is really really um is really important and that's the number one thing that i start to do with people is to actually start changing the language before we start anything else that's that's amazing and absolutely fascinating too. And I can relate to this because recently I went to a massage therapy school and as I was going through my schooling, we, we had to learn a ton of anatomy and I haven't gone to school, you know, 16 years now, 17 years. And so I had to relearn how to go to school. And as I was doing this, I kept having this imposter syndrome, pit, uh, you know, pop up and it's so interesting how our brain can tell us all this all these lies really of like oh i'm i'm not getting it am i ever going to get it all my schoolmates are, or classmates are getting this why can't i get this and it was really interesting some of those limiting beliefs that would pop up for me and as soon as somebody else asked a question in the class i was like oh okay <laughs> we're on the same page okay i i can i can do this you know and it was really interesting relearning how to learn for me and and really, you know, catching on to it. So as they're unpacking these beliefs, what are what are some of the tools that you use to reframe this? Um, what are the the ways you can help um, individuals reframe this limiting to belief of, oh, I'm not getting this. Am I an imposter? Am I ever going to get this too? okay, maybe I am getting this. Maybe I'm being a little little harsh on myself. And, you know, what are some of the tools to kind of reframe that? The first thing uh, we do is actually we start to write those down. So we start to make a note of them so that they be can become aware of them because a lot of the thoughts um, that we have in it, so we have some, we have between sort of, you know, 40 and 70,000 thoughts in a day, um, most of which are automatic thoughts, most of which are the thoughts we have over and over again every day that we're so no longer conscious of that they're just there constantly spiraling around in our in our minds so the first thing i do is teach them to cut is to catch the thoughts that are happening around that particular um belief and then we make a note of all of those thoughts that they're having and then we break it down so each thought that we're having we will then create a reframe for each of the individual thoughts so the most important thing we do to start off with is break it down into smaller pieces because we can take something 
in its entirety, like the belief in its entirety. And a lot of the time we can't overcome it because like everything, it's too overwhelming, the size of it. So we can't go from zero to a hundred miles an hour in these in this situation. We have to work out how to sort of, you know, put the petrol in the car first, you know, how to learn to drive, how to so we we have to do it in really in small increments. So breaking down the belief into those smaller sizes and then reframing each section of that because it has to be believable. Our subconscious mind has to believe it to start off with. And if we start to go for something too big, our mind will just go, oh, no, I can't. That's I'm not going to. It's too big for me. To, so then that automatic thought pattern just continues and continues. And then we come up against the brick wall that we're not able to break down. And then as humans do, we will then tend, we'll, we'll just give up and just go, OK, well, we won't bother with that one. Then I'll just keep that one. I'll, I'll just keep it because actually it's easier than uh, than trying to change it. So that's. That, that's the first thing that I always recommend. That's the first thing that we always do. And then I encourage people to put those beliefs, the reframed beliefs somewhere where they can see it every day. Um, and also to write down things, their, their successes, the so things that they have won at, whether it's in a different subject, things that they are good at, or the thought where they think that they are, I'm just going to use the um, math scenario again, where they think they might be thick at maths, Let's look at the times when they've overcome it, how they've overcome it, whether somebody's helped them overcome it, can somebody else help them overcome it this time as well. So it's it's about building them in, in stacks and breaking it down. Is If it's the most important message that to get across is to um, break things down. So one one thing, one part, one step at a time. I absolutely love that. I love that you... Uh mentioned overwhelming there because i know that with me and a lot of the people that i've worked with as well that's a common theme that pops up and when we get overwhelmed and we we can't even see the next step then it's true we want to just kind of give up and then that programming is continuously replayed and i really love how you went into uh, celebrate your successes because mm. i think it's so important to not only help uh, with the momentum that we're creating, but help create that motivation as well, because we all know where we haven't done as good, where we've failed at. And and I think we beat ourselves up because we start focusing on that. But when we look over, you know, the last 90 days and say, where did I win? Where did I accomplish? Did I pass that quiz? Did I, you know, all of those things that are involved and you can start saying like, oh, okay, I, I actually have done quite a bit and I am, uh, you know, I am smart. I can do this. And it gives you the motivation to continue, you know, like you said, seeking the help or, or gaining different tools to be able to continuously overcome those, uh, those automatic thoughts that can pop up. So as you're, as you're reframing and going through this, what are, what are the next steps? Uh, what's the the next step going forward after we've reframed it, after we've written down the reframe goals, what are some of the little habits uh, that that you help people develop as they're continuing this journey? Well, so the habits that we then turn to and we then look at is, um, so self-talk comes into that part uh, where we're reframing. So we all talk to ourselves not very kindly. So, you know, the, the next thing I then look at is how, um, people can actually start to speak to themselves 
as well as they speak to the people that they love, their best friends, for, um, for example. Um, one of the questions asked them is, if this was your best friend, if this was one of your, if, if this was a loved one, what would you say to them? I even use this question with myself. Sometimes I have to even do it by myself and I go, right, okay. If this was, you know, this was a friend of mine, what, what would I say to them now? And I can guarantee every time it won't be what you were about to say to yourself or what you've got going on in your mind that you want to say to yourself. Um, and that really hits home with a lot of people. Um, and it helps people to then start to be more curious and ask themselves better questions about a situation that's happening or where they might be having this belief about themselves. Um, <clears throat> so again, that's about unpacking um, some of what's going on internally. Um, and how I do that is I encourage the people that I work with to have, to imagine that they have like their inner critic, but also their inner coach. So I encourage, um, particularly when I'm working with young people, this works really well, um, is I encourage them to pick an inner critic and to use a voice of somebody. Quite often it will be a teacher. <laughs> Quite often it will be a teacher that probably isn't maybe their, their, their biggest fan or a teacher that they don't particularly gel with. So they use them as their, their sort of inner critic. Then we look at where our inner coach lies and we choose a voice of somebody that we care about, somebody who believes in us, somebody who is there for us. So we start to turn the volume down on the inner critic voice and start turning the volume up on our inner coach. And then what that actually does is it tunes us back in to our inner selves, but it tunes ourselves back in to the positive side, the more encouraging side of ourselves so that we can actually start to champion um, ourselves rather than listening to the critic all the time. Sometimes I may have it so that they brush the critic off the shoulder, you know, kind of actually, because actually physically doing it and sometimes even making the noise going, you know, any kind of noise to kind of, it's a really kind of um, powerful technique that we use in um, NLP where we use noises and things like that because we bring a little bit of kind of humor into it as well because it helps with that disassociation. And particularly when you're working with, uh, with young people, it just really helps them to sort of, to be able to see it and feel it as well. That's absolutely beautiful. And it really does help tremendously to rewire our brain to, uh, you know, reframe it and, and then focus on that positive side of, of what we have done and what we are doing to reframe and, and change the way we're showing up. It reminds me of a great book I read. It's actually about cancer, but called Radical Remission. And in that, one of the, the gentlemen talking about how he um, got rid of his cancer was he stopped looking at it as something he was fighting, as something that was apart from him and that he hated and started looking at it like a sick child. And how would you approach a sick child? Would you say, I can't believe you're sick. You need to heal already. What the hell? <laughs> no, that's not going to you know, help anything. But really having that love and compassion and kindness towards his own cancer and really making that shift. And it really makes sense from you know a, a neuro uh, perspective, um, a neuroscience perspective, because you know, you're actually allowing your brain to release what I call the miracle chemicals instead of you know, the adrenaline, the cortisol, and those stress chemicals that really keep us inflamed and, and really don't do any, any service to us. 
Yeah, and and commonly, uh, um, as humans, unfortunately, um, and for more for us for the, than some of us, is we're kind of programmed not to be particularly compassionate with ourselves. Um, so learning that compassion, and I think the young people particularly, um, are not very kind to themselves because they can't believe that, and obviously they've got so much going on, so much brain development, you know, part of their prefrontal cortex isn't developed yet. Their rational side of their, you know, their brain isn't fully developed. They still live very much through the sort of feeling parts uh, of their brain. So obviously that big emotion, they're going through those phases where there's a lot of big emotions, the behaviors going. Um, and a pattern that I see over and over again, um, particularly in young girls actually, is just how hard they are on themselves. Um, and I think it's really crucial to get them when they're younger at that point, to teach them that self-compassion, self-acceptance, rather than like I did for myself, and I've seen so many other women do, wait till they're in their thirties and forties and then start that journey. I think it's important for us to, um, to support our young people to start that journey as they transition from child into adulthood, not into middle age. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And it, it absolutely is paramount to have these tools to be able to, to reprogram ourselves and really show up with that self-compassion. I know that I wish I would have started when I was in my youth and, and not in my thirties. I mean, the, the beautiful thing is that we can start whenever and we can reprogram it, but it's much, much easier to even understand how life works and really how to show it better for ourselves if we gain these tools at a young age. So as you're working with these young people and as these limiting beliefs are are coming up and then you're reframing, we're reprogramming, we're saying, you know, be, be kind to yourself. Um, what are what are some tools that you help young people specifically use in the moment when they're maybe having an anxiety attack or they're having that imposter syndrome and it starts becoming overwhelming because we can't see that next step. What are, what are some tools to like kind of calm that nervous system in real time as they're experiencing some of these symptoms? The number one thing and as easy and as simple as it sounds, and we don't do it is to breathe, but to breathe fully. Um, I don't believe that any of us on our daily lives going through our, our day actually breathe correctly because we're not we're not using our breath. Now our breath is such an incredibly powerful tool in these situations. Um, it helps to ground us. So I use a um, 7-Eleven technique, which is to breathe in for seven, and then breathe out for 11. Now what that actually does, and there's other tools that we can use, which are classes, it's all, they're all classes grounding techniques. Because when we get into that stage of stress, overwhelm, um, and we feel really anxious, is because we're in our heads. So we've got so much in our heads, the worry has come, you know, that kind of fear of the unknown, the fear of something that might be, that might happen, the fear of something that may already have happened. So the trick for us is to get ourselves out of our head and back into our body to re-regulate. Um, and the quickest and easiest way to do that is to count ourselves in our breath. So there's a lot of people use the figure of eight 
breathing. So you might draw the figure of eight on your hand as you breathe, because actually that touch through the hand is quite calming as well. Um, box breathing, which is breathe in for four, hold for four, breathe out for four, um, and hold again for four, and then repeat until we get to a point where we can actually start to feel ourselves re-regulating. Because yeah. that, you can't do anything until you've got to that point because we can't kick, our rational brain doesn't kick back in until we're able um, to get to that point. People can speak to us and people can start, you know, like teachers can, can, can try and sort of rationalize with us at that point, but we're not here, we can't hear. We can't, we can't hear you in that moment. So it's really important um, that to, to breathe and find that grounding, that place of grounding to be able to start. Yeah, absolutely. I know that breathing has been a huge shift in my life, especially when I'm feeling any kind of overwhelm or anxiety. I know that when I used to get in uncomfortable conversations with people, I'd feel half my brain just kind of shut off and I just wanted to to run. I wanted to get out of there and, and not really face it and avoid and breathing uh, and really feeling your your nervous system drop out of that sympathetic into the parasympathetic to, to calm down out of that fight or flight has been such a huge shift. And and what I ended up doing was buying the device from HeartMath, which uh, it's it's kind of can uh, measures your heart rhythm. And the way that uh, you, you get your brain out of that uh, sympathetic brain space is through breathing. And so it shows how breathing controls the rhythm of your heart. The rhythm of your heart controls the, the brain space you're in. And you're able to see in real time your brain kind of coming out of that sympathetic brain space. And it's been such a powerful shift for me to utilize. Yeah. And the other thing with breathing is nobody else in that moment needs to know what you're doing because it's such a subtle thing. It's something that we all do. Breathing is the most natural thing in the world, obviously. Um, but even in that space, and we can count and we just need to take a minute, but nobody actually needs to be able to see what you're doing yeah yeah absolutely and it's it's such a quick i mean you know it only takes anywhere from you know eight to 20 seconds to to really breathe properly and, and calm ourselves down and really ground ourselves and i like to use the word grounding because it's really what it is is grounding coming in our body not paying attention to that fight or flight response that we're so used to by now and understanding what our deeper subconscious and our true selves are actually needing in that moment yeah def yeah definitely and I, I think and when with the young people that I work with as well is actually getting them then to recognize for them because it's quite a simple way to, for them to understand it is you know that what, what I said is you need to come out of your head and into your body because that's something they can relate to and they can feel and go right okay actually when you put it like that it sounds quite simple and actually it is that simple once you've learned how to do it and it's been explained to you as to why that need is and then when they've done it a couple of times and they've actually felt it they're kind of like oh okay this yeah this isn't as hard as as I thought it was going to be because when you first say to a young person breathe they just look at you like you're an alien <laughs> just landed from out space and just go I do I do that every day <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine it's uh it's probably a new concept that like yeah. what are you talking about? We breathe all the time. <laughs> humor me. Just humor me for a moment. Just go with it and then tell me after whether I'm mad. <laughs> that's that's amazing. So 
after after taking them through the kind of unpacking the um realizing what these limiting beliefs are and then coming back into their body to calm themselves what are what are some habits going forward uh, besides breathing um that you help people kind of develop to be able to kind of develop some of these these goals going forward or these habits going forward to really kind of you know show up for themselves daily yeah we so we create uh we create a plan so we create a moving forward plan where we then set goals around um whatever that particular particular limiting limiting belief was so if we use the mathing again for um example we will put um steps in place of the things that they can do or the things that they can attempt to do who they can get the help from etc but then what we also do is we then look at what could get in the way because it's such an important part of the process. Because if we don't look at what can get in the way, we're not going to try and move out the way what's getting in the way because we need to be aware of how we could be going along quite nicely again and then we could get railroaded by something. Well, then we're going to let that railroad derail us. So we kind of preempt some of that. So so what might come up that uh, might prevent you from achieving or being able to get that? And it might be um, they're not getting the right support or um, they're not in the right class. Maybe they're not, I don't know, maybe they're not attempting it in, enough. Maybe they don't have enough time. Maybe their time management, they're not planning, they're studying um, enough. So we look at where they might get railroaded. And then we look at how can you prevent that railroad? So we cover off all bases and then they can work out, okay, so it's like a two-pronged support system because we look at the goals that they're then going to set for themselves. Um, we look at, obviously, the timeframes and how they're going to do that. And then we look at, okay, what what could go wrong? How can we preempt that going wrong? And how can we move past it? How, how can we make things different or do things that means that we can deal with what might go wrong in order to move past it and that's a really crucial part of the whole process yeah i absolutely love that the mist i absolutely love that and it really is so important to uh, to really have a strategy when we're coming up against these different blocks that that pop up one thing that i also enjoy doing uh with with some different clients that i've worked with is reframing this idea of failure and i i really think that we want so bad to be good at whatever we're doing that we forget that failure is part of the process that we haven't succeeded at anything until we failed first i mean you know with the example of math we you know are often going to get it wrong way before we ever learn how to get it right and that's yeah. okay and that's beautiful um, but I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts around reframing failure and how um, failure can actually become a superpower, realizing that we're on this this road to uh, success. Well, one of the things we have with fail, um, and you probably heard, which is um, a failed attempt in learning or first attempt in learning. Um, I used to see failure as a massive roadblock, like I failed. So I'd, I saw it as a negative. I'd be like, right, well, I failed, so I might as well just move on to the next thing. Um, 
And when you're able to kind of switch that mindset and believe that actually in order to get to where I want to go, I have to fail because no one got there the first time around. Very rarely, it, you know, every now and then that does happen. We, you know, we can't deny that that does happen every now and then. But a lot of the time, particularly uh, when we have successful businesses, we have successful lives, there's been all the failures in the background that nobody is showing you. So I think it's really important um, with the young people that I work with to show them actually where I failed. So I talk about how I didn't pass maths GCSE. I got an F for French. You know, school wasn't really, it wasn't great for me, but I've still, you know, created success in my life as a result because I also believe that we have to be ready to learn certain things in life and sometimes we're not quite ready and that comes into that failing maybe once or twice because maybe we're just we're not quite ready but we will be ready and we'll know when we're ready but we have to get it wrong in order to get it right and I use quite a lot particularly obviously with the with the young boys you know it's like sports stars and things like that and you know they started somewhere they they started maybe in an academy they may have they may have failed in the first football academy that they went to they may have gone to two or three academies before they you know before they got noticed um you look at jk rowling as the um the author how many times her book got turned down they, they turned around to i don't know how many times i don't even remember how many times but it was a lot before somebody picked it up and then decided and now look now look where she is and all the success that she's had but she found a few many times before she was able to then um, to create that success for herself but it's about learning not to let it stop you and to actually welcome it and go okay so that's one failure out of the way move that to the side that's one and the, and learning going okay so what went wrong there how did I fail there what what did I do? What, but also what didn't I do? And sometimes we fail because maybe we put effort in and then we stopped putting the effort in. We weren't consistent or we weren't getting the right help or support. So again, it's looking at where that failure happened and then actually sort of making friends with it, welcoming it in, making friends with it, sitting with it and asking it some questions. Yeah, that's absolutely beautiful. And I 100% agree. And it's it's fascinating to me because it seems like oftentimes when we're having this imposter syndrome pop up, we're comparing the worst of ourselves to the best of somebody else. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's just really not a fair comparison. And, and, you know, obviously, when we look on social media, the majority of people aren't saying, hey, look where I failed, you know, I get to attempt better tomorrow. We just see, you know, these amazing successes that people have and say, oh, man, I want that without really understanding what that means and the work it takes to get to that point. And so it's. Yeah. We yeah. Think that... Oh, sorry, I, I think uh, you cut it out there. Say that one more time. We, we think that they did it overnight because we're just seeing it when actually it took years, but it took years of them keeping quiet about it beforehand. And they're only coming out and saying it now once it's actually happened. Yes, yes, absolutely. And when I'm taking people through meditating and learning how to meditate, I tell them, you know, when you're very first starting and you can only pay attention for a minute or 30 seconds or however long it is, that is meditating, like becoming aware of your active mind. That's where it starts. And if you're not aware, 
then you can never quiet it down, but you're never going to be, you know, a master at this. When you very first start, it's going to become a little overwhelming. You're going to be able to pay attention to the thoughts and that's the starting point. And that's when you start first becoming aware of this. Um, so before I let you go, I uh, do you have a website that people that may want to work with you can find you at? I certainly do. Yeah, my website is www.faycoxcoaching.co.uk. Mm, you can um, about me, but and I also have um, resources on on there as well. So uh, yeah, there's a shop on there too. Perfect. And for anybody listening, I will include the links in the show notes so you can easily find Faye. And before I let you go, what is one little tip that you have for young people that are are feeling like a failure, feeling like an imposter, are overwhelmed? And what's one little tool that they can utilize right now to kind of start shifting that mindset to one of empowerment? Uh. <clears throat> I think the biggest thing that I would say, the number one thing to get started is to start writing down what you're thinking and start noticing a pattern in what you're thinking about uh, your own capabilities. And actually then go and ask three people closest to you what they believe your strengths and capabilities are. Because we all need that little bit of outside validation but we all think that we know what other people are thinking about us which is exhausting even in itself so get curious about what's happening um and and ask some people around you i love that get curious and ask people and as i actually did this exact thing asking people what my strengths and weaknesses were and uh, or rather what my strengths were and then going back and saying what are uh, some areas where you feel like I could improve I was completely astounded by some of the the strengths that people thought I had that I honestly didn't even see in myself yet yeah yeah that's very very powerful we'll start the a pattern and lights and then everything is about awareness is about getting curious and becoming aware because like you mentioned if you don't become aware if you don't bring it into your conscious mind and you don't become aware can't well you can't you can't start and that is your starting point is to to bring it out into up into your awareness i absolutely love that become aware and become curious well thank you so much for coming on the show today it's been a wonderful time chatting with you and uh and yeah i look forward to uh, following you and uh, maybe talking to you in the future thank you very much have a great day Faye. you too bye-bye